Welcome everybody to episode 60 of the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. I'd like to sincerely thank all the interviewees, listeners and the soccer public of the Illawarra, Australia and around the world who download this podcast. Additionally, I'd like to say thank you to the great people who contribute, comment and reminisce on the social media pages. For the second time on this podcast, John Fleming is our interviewee in episode 60. The response to John's interview in episode 5 was fantastic, so I asked John to return to the podcast to further discuss plays he played with and coached at the Wollongong Wolves. Once again, I send out my sincere thanks to John for giving up his time and reminiscing. Please note, in the last 35 minutes of the interview, John's microphone died. So his audio in the last part of the interview is derived from my microphone and the sound quality is not the greatest. I apologise for this microphone malfunction. Regardless, please enjoy episode 60. Welcome everybody to the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. I'm here at the Bowgowney Soccer Clubhouse. Thanks to both clubs for uh, allowing me the use of this wonderful facility. And I'm here um, in his second appearance, John Fleming. John, welcome and thank you for coming back to the podcast. You're welcome, Travis. After we spoke the last time, we, we said that there was a few more stories and, and some more information that you can potentially paint the picture of the players you played with and, uh, and then when you at the Wolves and when you were then coaching with the Wolves, there was you know some other stories and some other descriptions of players and matches that we could potentially talk about. So that's what we're going to do today. First and foremost, uh, let's talk about Ken Morton. He was your first coach uh, at the Wolves. Um, tell us a bit more about him in terms of his, I guess, training, tactics, team talks and the like. Um, I think we were very fortunate. Uh, the English players that came uh, to Wollongong, we, we came at the start of their, their journey, so to speak. And um, I think I was here four weeks and we played out the second day, which was Australia Day. Uh, we played against Cor uh, Canberra Coromel Memorial Park, just in a friendly, and uh, it was 30 degrees, <laughs> and I think I, I died. It was, uh, it was a big change in the weather, because it was minus 10 in England around that time. <laughs> and um, we drew one each, if I remember rightly, or one nil we lost. And uh, that was my introduction to Australian soccer. And I think four weeks later, we played our first game, and we hadn't really been together very, very long. So there was a lot of uh, hard work went in in those weeks uh, to get the side ready. And um, Ken obviously had a pivotal part, part in that. He brought uh, Kristen Levy, John Lathan, and myself from England to the club and numerous other players from Tasmania, from Newcastle and um, uh, from Wollongong. And, uh, we bonded pretty quickly, and uh, I think we, our first game was at the Wollongong Showground, and we played uh, Sydney Olympic, who was uh, being coached by Tommy Doherty, 
who coached Manchester United, Chelsea, was, you know, one of the superstar uh, coaches in the English game um, until a few things went uh, <laughs> dismally wrong for him. <laughs> and uh, he ended up over here and he was coaching them. And as far as I was concerned, they were onto a hiding to nothing because the fish, uh, the crowd that day, uh, what is called Wind Stadium now, was Wollongong Showground. Uh, they had a dog track around the pitch, <laughs> and the place was chockers. It was packed to the to the rafters. You couldn't get another soul in there, and uh, they were all supporting Wollongong. And uh, we we came the four two. I think the eventual result was, and uh, it was a great, a, a brilliant start, and uh, for everybody. But we were all supremely confident going into the game because of the atmosphere and everything like that. And I'll always remember the quote afterwards. We were on a crowd bonus over 4,000 and uh, the crowd, official crowd was 4,200. And uh, SBS interviewed Tommy Doherty after the game and said, uh, what's your first thoughts on uh, Australian soccer? And he said, they can't count. <laughs> and the interviewer said, I think it was, um, Les Murray said, uh, what do you mean they can't count? Said, well, there wasn't 4,000 here, there was 15 or 16,000 here. And it was, it was packed and uh, it was a great start. And uh, I think the, the experience of the three English guys, I mean, there was probably over 1,000 football league games between the three of us. Um, and a couple of New Zealand internationals, it really, really held us in good stead and uh, it was a great start. And so Ken, in terms of, um, I guess, what he had to do as a coach was made slightly easier by, by, like you said, having professionals like yourself and Chris and John there with a couple of, I think it was Clive Campbell, was he the New yes, Zealand international yeah. that made it yeah. easier then to quickly uh, come together, so to speak? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure that had a, played a part because um, we were very confident that we'd do well and uh, a lot of the Australian players uh, at that time, uh, we played Sydney Olympic, they all had superstar names. And then we played this next game, we played Heidelberg and they'd won the league before, the year before. And um, there was a lot of, oh look, Jimmy Campbell, what a great player, Gary Cole, what a great player. And the English lads didn't, didn't really bother us. And this is, this is a true story. We got to the ground and we were thinking, well, gosh, this Heidelberg must be really, really good. And uh, uh, I think it was Olympic Park was the name of the ground. And they've got a long corridor and yep. two or three dressing rooms. And I was walking to the dressing room and I could hear this uh, fella talking in the other dressing room. And I thought, I know that voice. And um, he used to clean my beat boots at Oxford. <laughs> so I called him out and he was the Jimmy Campbell they were all frightened of. <laughs> and um, I talked to him and I think they knew then that they were in for a, a big game. We beat them 3-1. We, we absolutely annihilated them. And um, that set us up uh, with Ken Morton the first two games. And uh, we did very, very well for probably half the season. And then we didn't have a strong squad. Yep. And uh, 
injuries and uh, Clive Campbell having to go back to play for New Zealand at times um, made it a very, very difficult year. But we finished mid-table and uh, we did exceptionally well. And what about, um, we'll start with some of the players that, that year, uh, what about John Latham? Um, can you talk us a bit about um, what you knew about him and, and how he was as a, as a teammate and where did he play and, and, and that sort of stuff? John was probably towards the end of his career at that, at that stage. He'd been a very um, good, good player for Sunderland in, in England. Uh, maybe he played for another club, I'm not sure, but most of his games yep. were at Sunderland. I played against him there. And, uh, but it, he, I think he came over here really with a mind to getting into the coaching. Right. And um, in fact, I think he's coaching in South Africa now. Uh, he went after he left here. He went to South Africa. He scored uh, a goal in the first game, and uh, then really um, wasn't as successful as as you would you would imagine he would have been. Um, and he left at the end of the first year. But but still a quality player to have at the start of a season when you're uh, forming a new club. Yep. And I think Ken Morton had did. Uh, really done his due diligence with the players that he uh, collected here and he had a good um, uh, good group of experienced players mixed with a lot of inexperienced players and it worked well. And what about Chris Dunleavy? Um, you know he's, his name in this region people know of him but that's when he came to, to the area. Um, uh, tell us a bit more about Chris. Well Chris is I think played five or six hundred league games in England. I mean, you know, he'd uh, he'd proven what a decent player he was, and uh, he was a very very good captain, um, a stalwart uh, at the back of the the team, and uh, a super guy. And uh, he was a, a major part of our success the the next year, and uh, keeping the side together. Uh, yeah. Very good player, very good player. Because he had a, a period there when uh, Ken left um, that he then took over um, for a little period there. Yeah, uh, towards the end of the uh, the season, I think he took after uh, took over after the Newcastle game. Yeah, yep. um, for a short time. Um, and was that difficult to sort of uh, for him? Uh, do you think? Or yeah, I think it was very difficult for him uh, because. I think when Ken left, there was a lot of bickering going on amongst the players, yeah. and um, it was it was a very very difficult time for anybody to take over. And uh, he did the job for the final end of the season, and uh, then I think Willie Wallace came along. And so the the playing group then, after a, a great start, was was some of that bickering just more frustration and how the season had gone with injuries and whatnot, or uh, people just weren't, uh, I guess. Professional enough to get on and do the job. We weren't on the same wavelength. A lot of the, a lot of the team, and um, it just just wasn't. It, it had become a bit of a toxic culture in the end, yep. and uh, it just wasn't working. Yep. And so for you, did um, you sort of put that one in the memory bank for for later down in the track when you were were coaching to sort of, you know, I guess you were, you know, you had your coaching licenses at that point. Um, I guess you had. The thought in your mind that you were coaching that you thought, well, hey, I'll uh, put this one down in the memory bank to sort of potentially know what to do if, if, it, if you see it happening at a team you're coaching? 
Yeah, I, th I think that comes back all the time. You've got to have the players all on the same wavelength. And um, I, when I started coaching, I went back to all the clubs and coaches I've I've been under, whether they were good or bad. They all had good points and they all had bad points. And you try to pick pick the pieces out of it and uh, get it in the right manner. But I, I think Australia is slightly different. Um, in England, I know you could have a, a manager that really uh, didn't get on with the players, so to speak, but still was in charge and they respected yeah. him. Over here, it was totally different. Um, you had to be apart from the players, but you had to be part of them. Yep. So you had to mix in and, and, and have that kind of culture. And uh, I, I think perhaps Ken started off and it was it was excellent, but then as the time went on, he was he lost it a bit. And uh, some of the other other players there around about this time and in, in these first first two or three years uh, at the club, uh, Jim Preston. Jim Preston, Scottish goalkeeper, uh, tremendous. Yeah, he was uh, he was quality. Um, yeah, I can't say any more about him. He was he was a good friend and uh, he was a, an awesome goalkeeper. Uh, I think he went on to play in Hong Kong after he left here. Yep. And uh, we saw uh, a video. He, he was in one of the biggest fights uh, on the pitch with all these um, Chinese players <laughs> laying into him. I don't know what had happened. I can't remember. But, uh, yeah, he was a, he was a live wire. Uh, Peter Willis? Peter Willis, yeah. I worked with him for years. Um, uh, another good friend. Uh, he cut his toe off. He was going to play right back in the, the opening game of yeah. the, the first season. And uh, he was uh, doing the lawns at Fielder's Bakery and uh, with thongs on, my, by the <laughs> way. And he cut his big toe in half. And so he was out. So I got railroaded into right back from playing uh, central midfield yep. um, I, I actually liked playing at the back a lot more than I did in midfield but I, I was always um, what's the word the utility player everywhere I went which I don't think at the end of the day does you any good um, but uh, I love going back to right back and uh, I think uh, I kept it I played most of the year there so it was it was good and uh, Peter's strengths as a player? Oh, just never gave up. And uh, good skills for a, a full-back and a good right foot and, and read the game really, really well. And could you see it, um, like you said, you had, uh, and we've discussed this before, that you had sort of future thoughts about progressing into the coaching world. Could you could you see that he was potentially going to become a coach? Um not at that stage, no, no, nowhere there. But uh, when I did um, leave and uh, started coaching, uh, I went to Rockdale after I'd um, uh, coached at the Wolves and uh, I took him with me and um, he was there for a year and I could see the change in him then. Yep. And uh, he was always going to be uh, in, the, in the coaching ranks. Yeah, that, that that was pretty obvious to me, and uh, he was he was picking up things all the time. And it, you know when somebody's uh, so eager to to learn and listen, and and you could tell 
He was, he was going to be a coach. Uh, Jeff Ainsworth? Jeff, yeah. Um, oh, he, he came here, he'd, he'd had a lot of knee problems and uh, he struggled the first year. He, he was, uh, oh, first year, second year, second year probably. Uh, struggled the first five games, I think we lost and he was, he was having huge problems. Uh, he couldn't turn um, everything, and uh, he played. He played it out, and then I think he went to was it Blacktown? Yeah. yeah, he went to Blacktown, and he played. And I stayed on at the Wolves. Um, I think a year under Noddy, and I, I won the Player of the Year, and then left and took up the coaching job at Fairy Meadow. And then took the Wolves job. Now, I'm, I'm saying that Jeff Ainsworth wasn't playing well when he was at the Wolves, but he was the first player that I went to, to bring back to the club when I when I got to the Wolves, and I had him as captain, straight away. Not not a, a second thought. He was one of those guys that, you'd walk into a pub and you'd walk into the bar, and the lads would be there. And he'd say, come on, we'll go next door and play darts. And I'd sit there and watch, and they'd all follow him. Yep. So he was a born leader. And um, the, the two seasons that we had, won the State League and finished first in the National League, um, he was a pivotal part in that because he, he, he put in 100% effort every week but his reading of the game and his reading of other characters in the in the yep. side was just brilliant. And he was my kind of um, commanding officer on the pitch. Yep. Everything I wanted, he he put it across. And and I can remember there was many board meetings I went to, where uh, the board was saying, "Oh, why is Jeff Ainsworth playing?" And I said, "I take him off. You have a look at how we struggle. Just have a look at the data." And uh, yeah, he he was a, br a brilliant leader and somebody a great penalty taker as well, uh, and central midfield at the back just did a super job for us. A good, a great leader, the best leader I've ever been associated with in Australia, without a shadow of a doubt. And uh, with uh, some of the material, and and I thank you for it um, that I've been able to scan. You know, there was a couple of bits and pieces in there that were coaching notes. And, and then you were very thorough in your coaching notes. So I guess opposing coaches would have been doing the same thing, but they might not have picked up on some of those intangibles that you just described about him in terms of his leadership. He's, I guess, people gravitated towards him. So yeah. some of that stuff um, as an opposition coach, you can't always pick up no, on, can no, you? No, 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 you can't. And uh, that... We had, and I, mean, I know I'm jumping ahead now yeah, when he okay. was um, a captain. The culture then and the group of players that uh, were surrounding him, if they had somebody, a leader like him, uh, we were only going to go in one direction. And uh, it was, I, I, I was very fortunate. And I, I know I'm going off on a tangent, but, but I had players with me from the start, like uh, Warwick Young, Robbie Giroli and, and Jock Melando, and uh, they were in the same vein. And uh, you, you get that nucleus of a, a squad together and it just rolls off. 
yeah. and it rolls on, on to everybody else. And uh, he was he was a massive part, Jeff Ainsworth, in uh, in keeping that uh, that together. Well, another person that that you just mentioned, Jock Melando, he was a, a person that you played with when you were playing at the Wolves, and then uh, when you then uh, took up the coaching ranks, you then coached him. So tell us a bit about Jock, and and Jock I guess the differences you saw between him when you played with him, and then when you were were coaching him. When I played with him and trained with him, he was a, he was a nightmare, absolute nightmare. Um, wanted to do well, desperately wanted to do well. Perhaps he didn't get all the opportunities that he deserved under Ken Morton, but he was he was only a young lad, and um, he left the walls, and uh, after not really getting, like I said, probably getting the opportunities that he deserved, and. Uh, I got the Ferry Meadow job, my first job, and he was there. And um, I, th- I think he was a, a midfield player originally, and Ken Morton had played him at left back a few times, and uh, he'd done really well, uh, but never got a regular regular gig. And um, I played him at left back and then realised what a good centre-back he was. But I had two good centre-backs at Ferry Meadow and I kept him there. And uh, he, was, he was awesome. And he was, de- he was desperate to win, you know, desperate to play. Yeah. And uh, it's a great attitude to have. And uh, he went on, came back to the walls when I went back to the walls. He was one of the first people I took there. And uh, he became dominant for me. And again, probably... Uh, he was a good utility player. I used him in a number of positions, and that probably that didn't help his um, uh, what's the word help his career. Yeah. But uh, he was awesome. And so, like you said, a, a guy that you would pick in those first three or four players. Yeah, yeah. Uh, back to back to some of these other other guys. Uh, Lee Adam, when you're back in your playing days. Lee Adams, excellent player, excellent player, um, great right foot. Yeah, probably off the field, not the the best. Um, as circumstances uh, happened after he left here, but uh, yeah, really, really good player. It's, it's a shame he left after the first year. Uh, I think if he stayed stayed here, uh, he, he he could have gone to higher honours. And and for yourself, um, being a professional back in England and then coming here, and there is a a difference between uh, the two leagues or, or playing in any of the divisions in England as a professional versus playing in the NSL here? Was it, was it sometimes, I guess, easy or a potential danger to become complacent with, with being in this league and, and not, I guess, you always should show respect to where you play, but did you find that was a mindset that you had to sort of straighten out in your mind or it was pretty easy for you? I think it was pretty easy. You come here and you want to do well, so you, you, you prepare yourself well. Um, it's it's a totally different environment, as I said about um, coaches fitting in with players. Uh, the training three nights a week instead of uh, every day. I think that suited me really great at that stage yeah. in my career, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was. Uh, the, the playing standard when I first came in, it was surprisingly very, very high. Um, 
you know, Sydney City uh, at the time, they were the best side I've ever seen in Australia. They were light years ahead. One of my ex-coaches came over, his son was playing in, in Sydney in the State League, and he came over to watch one of our games. And uh, I think this was the second year, the second year, and uh, he he said to me after the game, said, uh, this Sydney City side said uh, they could play in the first division, which is the Premier League now in England. <laughs> They'd be in the bottom bottom half, but, but they, were, they were quality. Eddie Thompson... Uh, obviously a superb coach. He had them really, really going well. And then, and who were some of the players in that team that, that you can recall and, and how did you feel when you came up against them? Well, I, I can... You know... Uh, Willie Murray, I brought him here for a, for a year. Uh, Kenny Bowden, um, Alex Robertson. Oh, look, it's just... They were they were chock full of uh, good players. In, in fact, we played them in Sydney, and uh, Willie Murray went past me like I wasn't there. I was <laughs> playing right back, and um, I kicked him, and they got a foul, and they played a short free kick, and they played it to him again, and I kicked him again, and. I was walking off the pitch then. Uh, the referee gave me a red card and we were 3-0 down. And uh, so, really, I'd cost the, the guys a game. There was only probably 35 minutes to go. And then uh, Phil O'Connor turned on his wonders and uh, the final result was 3-3. I was getting changed in the dressing room and I'd hear the cheers and I'd come running out. And <laughs> yeah, it was uh, pretty exciting. But they, they were a really, really good side. And a nice segue there to, to Phil O'Connor. Um, can you tell the listener a, a bit about his playing ability? Um, obviously, I never saw him play, but um, from what I've read um, for a number of years, over, over several years in the newspapers, was what a, such a talent he was. Can you tell the listener a bit about where he played and, and what made him such a talent? He played for Luton in England. He's just exactly the same age as me. Um, he made his debut the last game of the season against Oxford, who I played for in England, and I played against him in the reserves. And he, he played uh, left midfield in a, in a 4-4-2 system, and I played right midfield. So I find it found him pretty ordinary. And um, anyway, he uh, I think he he got released at the end of that season and uh, went for a trial to Lincoln another one of my old clubs and didn't make it there and ended up in Australia. And when I came to Australia and saw him play, it wasn't the same bloke. <laughs> Gosh, he'd, he'd got a turbo engine now. He was left-footed, right-footed. He'd got pace. He was brilliant. And he became one of my best friends at the Wolves. He was, he was a super guy. He, he was our um, X factor yeah. without shadow of a doubt. Um, he played for Australia against England in Melbourne and tore the English defence apart. He, he could have gone back straight away and played in uh, the English oh, First Division without a shadow of a doubt. He just he just come over here and found another gear, and uh, he he was quality bloke off the field. Um, just wanted to play and wanted to do well. Yeah. And and how does that um, make you feel having? 
um, guys like that in a team where you know that they can change a game creatively it, it must give other players confidence oh without doubt without doubt I don't think um, all the years the, the four years or yeah four years I played at the Wolves um, we ever had a player like him and he, he just made the difference and we got to the to the finals that year I can't remember if we finished second or third and uh, we lost to St George in the the eliminator to go into the to the grand final and uh, yeah he uh, he was just he was just awesome all that season and uh, we had a good solid side and he just provided that something different for us. Yeah. So just remarkable how things can change. Yeah. When people, without like doubt. I said, you saw him in a professional setting and thought, well, things can't change too much, and and things do sometimes. Yeah. He was um, he, he was quality. Yeah. The the best player that I've I played with at the Wolves without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. Uh, Clive Campbell. You, you yeah. spoke about him before, a, a New Zealand international, and I think um, he was sporting a, a pretty uh, good moustache when he was at the Wolves. Uh, tell us a bit about Clive. Uh, we were, we were, me and me and Clive were really, really close, and yep. um, uh, the wives were close, and we we did everything together. And uh, he was. He scored two goals in the first game. Uh, so he's an attacking player. Yeah, yeah. A striker, striker. Yep. I think he, he played right midfield initially, yep. and came over here and Ken threw him up front, and he, he was killing it. And uh, yeah, he uh, yeah, very very good player. But um, I think he he fell out of favour a bit with Ken because he was going back to play for New Zealand, Ooh, and Ken Ken yeah, yep. Ken wanted him to stay here. Because Ken really didn't have a, a big squad to play around with. I, I understand both ways, yeah. but um, yeah, and he, he ended up going to Blacktown and then uh, going back to uh, to New Zealand. Um, and an interesting aside from that, uh, a long time ago, twenty five years ago, uh, I got a knock on my front door and. <laughs> These two young lads there, 18 and 19, <laughs> and um, he said, uh, my name's Jeff Campbell. <laughs> and I said, yeah, young Jeff, because he was, he was two foot tall when I knew him. <laughs> and he said, my dad said, come and stay with you for, for a few weeks. And so they stayed, uh, him and another young man, Blair Schooler, uh, they come and stayed with us for a month and... Um, yeah, they trialled with the Wolves and I think they trialled elsewhere. And then Jeff went on to play for uh, the New Zealand um, team in the in the National League. I can't remember the name yep. of the team now. So, yeah, interesting. Uh, and you spoke about, I guess, the two worlds that you sort of played in the the professional uh, leagues of England and then here in Australia. Was it, was it um, although you were... Uh, were strict and, and prepared yourself well was there more of a I guess an atmosphere to sort of create friendships or because you know people like Clive and Phil that you you said you developed good relationships with was that different to the professional league in England? I, sp I suppose not in the end but, but when we first came we didn't know anybody here yeah. and um, so you, you make very very um, quick friendships 
and and because all the players that came to Wollongong, they were the side was put together in six months, and so they were all new to each other. Uh, there are quite a few of them are Australian. You know, Glenn Fontana and Nash Vader have lived here. Uh, they were probably the only two that um, lived in Wollongong or were born and bred in Wollongong. And uh, yeah, you, you made friendships very quickly. Uh, Jim McBreen, very very good friends with him. Clive Campbell early on. Yeah, th- th- probably three. I, l- I got on really well with the New Zealand guys, Billy DeGraff as well. Um, yeah. yeah, but yeah, you, you all, we, we all we all got on and uh, th- things were going well. The first two years were, were pretty successful. And, and what about uh, Jim McBreen? Um, can you talk a little bit about him as a player? Because I think he had some time in Newcastle as, yes, as well. Yes, he, he played at Newcastle, came down here. Um, very, very underrated. Just had a uh, could run all day. Uh, was a good goal scorer. Um, again, he's it, it, probably um, out of work uh, lifestyle. Didn't suit the professional footballer, but he was he, he was a very, very good player. And like I say, uh, Phil. Um, Phil O'Connor and Jim McBreen, you know, they're both dead now and very, very sad losses. Yeah. Uh, Glenn Fontana and, and Natch Vardariff, uh, you, you talked about two uh, local talents there. Uh, talk a bit about those two. Well, Glenn, um, obviously, he, he was kind of um, on the bench a lot. And I, I can remember distinctly his first game uh, or his first full game, he was playing against Newcastle up at uh, the Newcastle Stadium up there. And uh, I don't know who crossed the ball, and he'll be probably remember if you talk to him. Uh, and he headed it into the back of the net, and they had a big grandstand full, yep. and they had a hill on the other side. And uh, the cameras, the cameras were in the uh, on the hill. Yep. No, no, no. They, they were in the grandstand. That's right. They were in the grandstand. A funny run to the hill, you know, waving <laughs> the ten supporters there. Well, we had to turn him round to face him with the cameras. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, another story with Fonny. Um, we, uh, I got the Fairy Meadow job, and I took him there and yeah. gave him the reserve job and uh, uh, got him his start, so to speak. And um, then I, I did a stint down at the. Uh, Institute of Sport uh, in Canberra and bought back uh, the curver tapes and which that was the only uh, copies they had were in were in Canberra and I gave them to to Fonny and um, yeah so probably started him off with the curver coaching uh, at that time because he's he obviously went through them pretty thoroughly and then got involved with the New South Wales Federation and uh, got into it from there. But he did have a, a knack of, of finding the back of the net. Yeah, yeah, he was. Um, yeah, he, he was. He was good fun, funny. You know, that he was. Uh, yeah. And, and what about Natch as a goalkeeper? Because I think he had a, a period of time there uh, at Swansea. I believe. Swansea, yeah, that's and right. And otherwise, he was in the early days in the, some of the federation teams. Um, so, so he had he had. A big sort of presence to him. So, how did you find him as a keeper? Good basketball player. Um, come and catch crosses. Magic. Good reflexes. 
um, just terrible kicking the ball. You know, and nowadays he would struggle to get in the sides because the goalkeepers have got to play it out from the back. And uh, at that time he was, uh, that, that was that was his weak link, but very, very good goalkeeper. And um, again, perhaps should have played a lot more than he did. Uh, Billy de Graff, uh, another New Zealander, um, uh, what position was he and, and um, how did he go? Come here as a striker. The worst striker I've ever seen, and Ken Morton put him at centre back. Magic, yeah. Him and Kristen Levy, you know, they were a, a really, really strong force together. Two big, strong uh, men. Uh, uh, Chris is super, super header of the ball, and uh, Billy tall and strong and good playing it out from the back. Yeah, they 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 provided a good central duo. And do you um, sort of uh, see those things and? and think uh, later on maybe as a coach when you did see that that you know a player would come to a club or or be in a certain position and then you know there's sometimes success stories at changing their position and and trial trialing them elsewhere oh i, th I think i've done that numerous times changed players positions yep. and um, you know most of the time i think it worked I, I, I think sometimes you can, you can change your player into a new position and uh, it'll work for a few weeks because it's, it's new, it's yeah. novel for them. But then after that, uh, I think it, uh, it pales out. But uh, he was made to play there. I, I, I look at that was a great decision by Ken Morton. And uh, I, I think at that stage, I thought, geez, what, what was he bought him for? He was a New Zealand international. What's he bought him for? You know, but uh, yeah, he was he was he was good. Good yeah. value off the field as well. And so, did did it, uh, did it um, whether you know or not, did it then change in terms of his international status that he went back to defence for the New Zealand team, or did they? No, I think his New Zealand days were over by that stage. Okay. Yeah, and Brian Turner came around as well, and um, I think his. His news, and he he played in England for for a, a few years, um, I think with Brentford, and uh, his his days were over. They were both probably at the end of their career. But Billy, Billy had a great year for us. And what about Brian Turner? Well, I, I never saw the best of Brian Turner, yeah. and you know, by all calls, Rally Rasic. I spoke to him, and um, he said he was he was brilliant because Rally took him to Blacktown when he left here. Um, but again, he, he wasn't the player he had been. And do you, and you've probably seen it numerous times, whether it be in the NSL or, or the local leagues, that, that sometimes at, at one club uh, a player might not do that well and then at another club, surprisingly, they then either turn it around and it, I guess it can be a number of factors, but does it always or it doesn't surprise you? doesn't surprise me, no, no. You go to a new club, you get a new lease of life, you go to a new school from another school yep. and suddenly you, you start getting higher grades. It's just a fact of life, you know. Yep. Change is good as whatever, you know. Because sometimes, uh, I guess, uh, whether... Uh, not that you might you might not listen to it, but sometimes media pundits or, or whatnot try and make a link back to the previous club or coach... Um, it's not always the case, is it? No, no. It's uh, it's nothing to do with the the coaching. I think it's some places you you fit, uh, other places you don't. I know. I I'd played for Oxford for five years, and, and at the, that stage was the youngest player to have ever played for them, 
and um, I'd, I'd amassed quite a number of games in the, in the first team. But I never really felt part of the club, maybe because I was young and the rest of the players were 28, 29, yeah. 30. And then I went to Lincoln and um, suddenly it was totally different and you fit. Uh, it was... I just fitted in there, and uh, and and the, both the coaches I had at, at Jerry Summers at Oxford United was a superb coach, and then Graham Taylor at Lincoln City he went on to coach England. I mean he was quality, and uh, but th they both had different strengths, you know. And I think one of the, uh, Graham Taylor's great strengths was man management, yep. and uh, I always try to apply that with most of my coaching. Um. Well, look, I don't need to, uh, you know, flatter you too much, but even a couple of guest stints at my club, um, I could just tell, I think you did three or four games there over a couple of years to, to help us out. And, and uh, people are in awe of uh, people like yourself that have, that have been in the game. So it is, um, you know, it does happen that people then rise to the occasion yeah. when when they are around people like Graham Taylor or, or someone yeah, like yourself yeah. from this local level? Yeah, you know, my, my stints at, um, when, when Stewie was uh, on holiday, I think Stewie Oliver was on holiday, uh, my stints here are very enjoyable and, and the players put, you know, when you're a coach, if you get 100% out of your players, <laughs> you're not doing bad. And yeah. uh, I think the four games or three or four games I, I had here, um, I got that and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And so uh, I guess we're skipping ahead a little bit, but for you, uh, that was a, an integral part of your, your coaching sort of skill skill set that, you know, it's about man management, learning that from Graham Taylor and, and probably others as well, that you need to sort of motivate people, sort of help them in their mind, as not just on the field. Well, one of the things I think from from Graham Taylor was that, you know, I've been coached by a lot of people and, um, you know, they, they come in at the end of the game and you've lost and they say negative things about, oh, you're all crap, you're all playing terrible. But th that doesn't really get to the point. And he'd come in at the end of the game and he'd pinpoint, Travis, you've done that wrong. Yeah. You know, and I, I felt that that was a lot better. That, yeah. Although it might be personally upsetting to people, yeah. you were pinning them down, so they knew. And uh, maybe at the end of the game isn't the right time to do it. Uh, maybe the, the next week after you've, you know, settled down a bit, which, which I tried to, to fit in. But I thought you had to pinpoint people. And I think if you do that, you get more respect from them in the end, as long as it's done in the right manner. Yep. It's no good just shouting your head off and, and going off at somebody. It, it just doesn't work. Uh, back to players that you played with, um, Arno Batonia. Um Can you tell us a bit about Arno? I think he, he came when Billy de Graff went. Um, the Italian community, I think mostly from the fraternity, um, they raised $20,000, which was a lot of money yeah, in those days, amount. to... Um, to uh, buy him and uh, he came over and uh, Arno Batonia by the by the name he was very very Italian he was muscle bound big boy um, yeah uh, did he play in, in defense yes yeah, centre yep. back very 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 good 
very good player. Uh, I can remember one incident. He, he had this um, thing, you know, when Ken Morton was talking, he'd uh, kind of tell him something and Arno would go, no worries, no worries. Everything with Arno was no worries. And uh, I can remember Ken Morton go, no effing worries. Said, that's all I ever get from you. And, and throwing a bit of a tantrum and all the guys kind of, trying not to giggle, you know, because that was Arno, no worries, yeah. And he was taking everything in that Ken was saying, but he just, and I, I can imagine how irritating it got, uh, no worries, yeah. So, good player. Uh, Roy Cotton? Yeah, um, the second year, him and uh, Phil O'Connor, uh, they they formed a formidable duo up front, because... Um, Phil could take players on, was a good finisher, and um, had got a bit of pace. Uh, Roy Cotton was the uh, good finisher and held the ball up well. Yep. And they they matched each other, and it was good. And uh, another, another very good bloke, yeah. And so did he come from... from he home? came from St George. Yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, he came... At the end of the first year, we went to um, Bangkok... Cock for four weeks to play in the King's Cup tournament yep. against national teams, uh, India and Thailand and Malaysia and North Korea and South Korea. And um, uh, Ken Morton got him to come and do a guest stint with us there. And, and he got on with all the lads and yep. uh, he signed him at the start of the next season, which was a great buy. And uh, yeah, another good player. Uh, Larry Gaffney? Because Larry, um, when he when you played with him, uh, came back. Um, I think he'd been in Brisbane um, in the NSL, so uh, and he's well known in the area, obviously, in terms of uh, playing before he went to Brisbane and then coming back and, and coaching and playing as well. Well, uh, Larry came to the Wolves from uh, Brisbane City, I think, and um, obviously a local lad. Um, I played with him at the Wolves. I coached him at the Wolves. I lived across the road from him. <laughs> uh, I fought with him over his young young boy, uh, Paul uh, Pete Pete Gaffney, and my son Jamie. They they played together every day, same age. Fought and we argued and fought about them. And uh, then you know they get to be eighteen, and uh, uh, Pete's giving the the speech at Jamie's eighteenth, and Jamie's giving the speech. <laughs> oh look. I mean, that learns, uh, that, that teaches you something. Don't argue about the kids. Now, Larry was the most competitive bloke you'd ever meet and uh, you knew what you were going to get every week. He was going give, to give you 100%. And, music, and where did he play? Central midfield, yep. central midfield. Yeah, he was, um, yeah, good, good. And I'm I assuming think. later on in the, in the local coaching ranks you would have come up against him at different times as well? Yeah, yeah. Um, Yes, yeah. Larry was a one-off. He was a one-off. I, I can. Uh, the f first year I coached the Wolves, uh, he was he was on the he was playing for us, and he was one of our better players without a shadow of a doubt. And uh, I'd sold uh, Alex Bundala, yep. and um, we were playing Leichhardt. Uh, it, Alex was at Leichhardt, and we we're playing Leichhardt up at uh, Lambert Park. And I said to the guys before the game, I said, Larry, I said, you'll be marking Alex Bondella. I said, make sure you belt him as soon as, <laughs> as soon as you can. 
Well, about two minutes into the game, Larry's punched him one. <laughs> the next thing, um, they had a, a guy, a policeman, Lou Dunis, who played for uh, Appia Leichhardt. He came running down and punched Larry, and there's this big brawl after two minutes, and I'm going, what the, what the hell's going on? And uh, it got, they both got sent off. And uh, I said to Larry at the end of the game, I said, what did you do that for? And he said, you told me to belt him. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, oh, look, the, the Larry story's great. He's, he's the salt of the earth, do anything for you. Um, very good player. You'd want him by your side, not playing against him. Yeah, good, good player. Uh, Alan Waldron? Alan, um, yeah, he came from... Uh, he played in England, yeah. and uh, he... He was at, uh, he, he eventually left, uh, no, he eventually left England and played in Hong Kong, and via Hong Kong he came here. He played uh, three quarters of a season. In yep. fact, it, it was, uh, he kept Larry Gaffney out of the side for for quite a while, and um, which I don't think it was really a fair call, but, but that, was, that was a personal opinion. Um, I got on really well with Alan, by yeah. the way, but... Uh, I think Larry was very, very unfortunate at that time not to be playing regularly. And as a as a professional as you were, um, you could always, I guess, assess what you thought was fair and and potentially in your mind who you'd have in the team. Does it ever get to a point when you sort of see, I guess, three or four players that you see that aren't in the squad that day or in the starting eleven where you sort of it just sort of tips over slightly in terms of it certainly your did. playing because yeah. you're thinking, well, one or two, you can understand people's opinions of, of players, but three or four, how's the, how's the manager not seeing this? It, it certainly did. Um, I was very, very opinionated, as, as you can imagine. You've, you've known me a long time. And um, I'm a, I always made my, my feelings clear and... Um, Probably with Ken Morton in the end, uh, I just thought that a lot of a lot of guys weren't getting a, a fair go, and uh, yeah, probably probably spoke out and and shouldn't have spoke out, but yeah, that's that's my DNA, and yeah. I, can't, I can't change it. Uh, what about Willie Wallace uh, as a coach? Willie Wallace, um, I played against him in England when I was seventeen, and uh, he was playing for Crystal Palace Reserves uh, against us. I mean, he played in the European Cup final for Celtic. He was one of that magnificent side that Celtic yep. had. Uh, it was a, oh, an adornment to the game. And uh, he came down here. It was, uh, it was a pleasure to be uh, coached by him, to, to be perfectly honest. And uh, perhaps not the best coach in the world, but, uh, you know, is standing in the game. Yeah. I mean, I... I love Rod Stewart. I go to Rod Stewart concerts whenever he's over here, and Willie Wallace is always there. You know, Rod Stewart obviously loves the the Scottish the national team and loves Celtic. Uh, yeah, so he always says that um, uh, Willie Wallace is in the background. Uh, yeah, w Willie, yeah. a great character, a great character. Yeah, and and so on that point, does sometimes. Um uh, people standing in the game as a player sometimes forgive some of their weaknesses as a coach? Um, 
I think I perhaps did in in that respect yeah. be, because I did have so much respect for for what he'd done in the game. But um, you know, you, you get good players, brilliant players who become coaches, and and they they just don't fit. Yeah. And then you get bad players who become coaches, and they do fit. It's it's a strange it's a strange thing, but but that's that's sport. And and again, you know, if you're a coach, a lot of the time. It, You've got to fit into the club that you're at, and you've got to buy into their um, background, uh, etc. And and I know when I coached at the Wolves, I felt that this was really a, a blue collar town, and that they wanted to see people putting in 100% effort. Yep. And uh, I tried to f- uh, fulfil that obligation as as much as I could. In terms of um, before we move on to some of the players that you. You then coached at the Wolves. Um, some of the opposition teams, uh, do you recall any other sort of players or teams? You spoke about Sydney City before, but is there any other teams that sort of come to mind where you you remember some different games where I guess a team was playing wonderfully or you saw a player and you thought, wow? Um, you mean as a player or yeah, as a coach? As a, as a player over here, you know. The, the whole of that Sydney City side were 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 just um, they, they were they they were different class, but you know you you played against players that again another player David Ratcliffe. I mean, he played. I think he made his debut against Lincoln the last game of a season that we won the league. We beat them five one, and he was useless. <laughs> And then I come over here and I played against him. He was playing for Brisbane City and different player, different environment, yeah. different. He was just brilliant, went on to play for Australia and was a very, very good player. You know, you, you often wonder these guys if they if they took the chance and went back to England, how they'd, uh, yeah, how they'd go there again. I, I don't know, maybe it was just the Australian uh, life, uh, yeah. I know that over the years, I can't, I can't think of players off the top of my head, yeah. but, but there were some quality players playing over here. You know, individuals. Just, um, you know, the, the, when I was coaching, they had Vedran Rosic, captain Yugoslavia, playing for Sydney, Croatia. I mean, yeah. absolute marvellous player. They had um, Marconi got uh, players out from who played for Juventus, I can't, a little guy, I can't remember his name now. And, uh, you know, they were, they were just different class. Uh, and the Wolves had a player, uh, which we can talk yeah. about later, Saul Rivera. Yeah, let's talk oh, about him oh. now then. Well, so um, how did you get him to the club? Or oh, how did well, he this, come this to is the an club? interesting story. Laurie Kelly said, uh, we've got this um, uh, fellow from Uruguay who wants to emigrate over here. He's yep. got a girlfriend over here, wants to marry him. He's a very, very good football footballer. They've uh, sent me his uh, uh, scrapbook. Yep. So I thought, oh, yeah, here we go. <laughs> yeah, another one, you know, that's played uh, for Uruguay and played in the World Cup and, you know, and they haven't. They're, they're <laughs> probably their brother or something like that. And uh, I opened this book and about third page in there's a picture of Zico and Saul Rivero in the Maracano Stadium with the Uruguayan and Brazilian shirts on arm in arm at the end of the game 
And I thought, hang on a minute. Then I'm looking at what he'd done in Uruguay, in Argentina, in Mexico. He'd played all over South America. And uh, it was all in Spanish. But I did seven years of Latin, so I could decipher yep. most of the the stuff. And um, reading it through, and I think, get this plug over. He was 36, and... Um, Big statement. He was, he was he was one of the best players ever to play for the Wolves, and he only played four or five games. Um, he came over here, and uh, it was obviously training that, yeah. that he was quite good, and um, I knew he was brilliant at free kicks. So we set up uh, uh, a set piece in training, and uh, I had an interpreter, and I said to the interpreter, uh, I wanted him to bend the ball around the wall into the back of the net because I uh, knew it was good. Anyway, five minutes later, they're still talking in Spanish and I got I lost my rag and told the interpreter to go away and um, I just pointed to Saul Rivera and he, he shook his head and he went, no, I'll go over the wall. So I went, oh, yeah, okay. Because <laughs> the balls were different in those days yeah. to what they are now. Bang, back, back of the net bang, back of the net. Couldn't believe it. Anyway, the the first game of the season, I think it was, we played Marconi, who were a very, very good side at um, Wynn Stadium. Yeah, it was Wynn Stadium. And um, it, was, it was a fair crowd, five or 6,000, and uh, got a free kick. And there'd been a lot of talk about his free kicks. Boom, back of the net. He scored two goals that day. We won three-one. Absolutely magnificent. And and he played four or five games. And by the third game, every time there was a free kick, the crowd, whether we were playing away or at home, they were on their feet because <laughs> they they knew something special was going to happen. And unfortunately, um, Robbie Wheatley, Blacktown, um, did a really bad tackle and. Uh, finished his career and uh, very 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 sad uh, beautiful man um, obviously a quality player I think he played 50 or 60 times for Uruguay which uh, you know shows you the quality yeah and and as a coach does that um, uh, as sometimes uh, you know what if moments does that sort of still stick in your <laughs> mind to say well obviously things like that happen in football but if if he'd had a whole season with you guys, uh, what may have been? Yeah, he, I mean, his legs had gone, to to be honest, but we didn't need him. We had plenty of people that could run all day and do his running for him, so that wasn't a problem. And, and basically, we had two strikers up front, and he played behind a s- striker. You know, you'd probably call it a false, false 10 now or, or, yeah. or whatever. Um, but in those days, we'd, we'd call it playing in the hole. And um, my instructions to everybody was, when you're playing it out from the back, play it to him. If he's there, give it him. Yeah. And he'd never give the ball away. And uh, once he got around the penalty area, he was great. And he brought out the best in other players because of his quality. You know, he put, he wouldn't put a dodgy 50-50 ball to somebody. Yeah. They were straight to their feet. He was, yeah, he was top class. And, and before we move on to, to other players, uh, 
how did um, yourself and, and the other squad members deal with, um, I guess, you travelled in Britain when you were professional, but the distances were greater uh, uh, here in Australia. So what was the sort of uh, itinerary, I guess, for a Wolves team when they travelled away when you, in those, those years where you played? Um, yeah, we travelled, stay overnight, and uh, yeah, it was... Um, yeah, very interesting. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, look, we'd, we'd arrive there on the Saturday lunchtime, say if we went to Adelaide, um, yep. we'd go and have a training session, and uh, then we'd uh, go back to the motel and play the next day. Yeah, it, was, uh, it, was, it was pretty good, and um, yeah, we, we had a good, good squad who, you know, a, a Ken, Ken had put together a, a group uh, after the, well, the first year, and the second year put together a group and that they all competed and you know if you've got a team of competitors you're always going to be in there in there for a long way and uh, yeah it was very good were there any places where you'd go geez i don't want to be here today or you you saw the fixtures coming up and you go geez i hate going here well there, there was one day i can i'll never forget it I, I wasn't a good you know i'd flown all over the world but i didn't like flying yep. and um You'd have to fly every weekend, and I, I, I suppose I got used to it. But we flew up to Newcastle one day in a small plane. <laughs> anyway, the the seats were, you know, two abreast. There's only about 20-seater or something like <laughs> that. And you could talk to the pilot because there was only a sliding door. Anyway, um, Jim McBreen was sitting next to me, and I was at the front, and... Uh, he kept calling the pilot Biggles and uh, <laughs> saying, you know, oh, turn the plane sideways. <laughs> and I'm going. The pilot was giving us, uh, going from side to side. <laughs> and uh, Phil Murphy wrote the best piece ever in the, in the paper, in the Ullawarra Mercury, about the flight there. And, oh, God, I was so glad to get off that plane when we got there. <laughs> and that, that did me for small planes. I don't think I'll ever fly in one again. But it was a really, really funny ride. And, and what about um, some of those uh, away grounds that you'd think, whether it be atmosphere or the crowd, and you thought, geez, this is a difficult place to play, let alone against the team? Yeah, the, the first year, we... Um, Footscray, we played at Footscray in the National League and they were Footscray J-U-S-T. I don't yeah. know what they that stood for, but uh, they, they were obviously um, a Yugoslavian, Serbian, I, I, I don't know, um, yeah. club. And they had uh, fences around the pitch, you know, six foot high. <laughs> when we got there, we were thinking, this is before it became yeah. par paramount around the world. And uh, we're thinking, what the hell is going on here? Anyway, we were we were winning one nil, and as the game went on, you could sense that the atmosphere was going getting a bit tense off the pitch, yeah. and uh, the referee had given a few um, fifty fifty decisions to us, and uh, I knew something was going to happen, and I was in the half and the dressing rooms behind the goal that we were defending, and. Uh, see the crowd shouting and people trying to climb up the fence and I'm thinking oh <laughs> anyway as soon as the the game the referee blew the final whistle I was on my bike and I was in the dressing room ran in the dressing room ran right round to the back of the dressing room because I knew there was something going off anyway 
10 minutes later, I'm still there, and there's nobody else in the dressing room, and I could hear all the noise, and then the police sirens, and, and everything. I didn't look out the window. <laughs> anyway, they, the guys came in eventually, and um, they said... Uh, Oh, the, the crowd wanted to lynch the referee, and so we had to stand next to the referee in the middle of the pitch, both <laughs> teams. And I'm going, well, I'm glad I was in, in the dressing room. Anyway, the police came, and it quietened down, and we come out of the dressing room thinking, oh, God, I hope all the fans have gone. And there they all are, and they're feeding us, and they're giving us drinks, and, you know, <laughs> as though nothing had happened. It was It was a... That was about a fourth or fifth game over here. It was, yeah, it was a different world. And you go to Preston, oh, gosh, the atmosphere there, it, it was bumping. It was great. You yeah. go to Apple, you like our small, these, these smaller grounds. I think Preston hold, held 14 or 15,000. And, and it was a good atmosphere when full. And Apple, you like our Lambert Park, they were right, right next to you and, you could hear what they were yelling at you, and it was it was brilliant. It was it was a great yeah. atmosphere, and it, it made you play better because uh, it, it was great. You'd, you'd have people calling you butcher, butcher. Why are they calling me a butcher? You know? <laughs> it was it was good. It was good entertainment. Yeah, I loved it. The the coaching job, um, obviously, uh, doing the Ferry Meadow job before um, doing the. Uh, the Wolves job uh, held you in good stead, do you believe? Oh, I, my mum was over here from England at the time and I'd won the player of the year at the Wolves and I wasn't, I wasn't really happy. I, it was time to move on and um, I saw the, the... I'd gone to see Laurie Kelly and, and the money wasn't very good. Um, they, they, they were having financial problems and it was, you know, it was, it was just becoming a bit of a... A burden, and um, I saw the advert in the paper, and I said, "Oh, I should really get now. I'm not going to go for it." My mum made me go for it, yeah. you know. Mum's alike, <laughs> and uh, I got it. And uh, Walter Chichkin and Frank Saladino, they ran the club, and on a shoestring budget. And so I went to the interview, and uh, I got the job, and went to the presentation. They'd won the stately to yep. I think the year before with Mike Johnson coaching them and I asked Mike Johnson I said well how do you think they'll go this year he said you won it last year you know the division two were in division one and uh, he said you'll get relegated you'll finish bottom I thought oh <laughs> that's great but thanks to Frank Saladino and Walter Chichkin and obviously a couple of players that, that I bought to the club they bought most of them probably um, most of them to the club we had a good side um, I bought Warwick, Warwick Young uh, this is an interest, yeah, inter interesting Warwick. story um, he came to the Wolves for trials and uh, there was when you were playing when yeah. I was playing there was three or four goalkeepers and I was I was with Ken Morton I was just shooting at the goalkeepers and he was he was having a look at them and Warwick was there with his green green gear on and his gloves and jumping up and down at the sideline and, and not getting a go. And um, anyway, I, this was before training. I thought, oh, I'll go and have a drink. And I started walking away. And obviously, Warwick wasn't... Nobody was having any shots at him or anything. I'm having a look at him. So um, he said, do you want to hit a few shots at me? I didn't know him from, from Adam. And I went, 
I see how keen he was. I said, yeah. So I hit a few shots and he just wanted to keep going. He would have been there for 12 hours <laughs> and uh, we had to train and uh, I didn't see anything of him again after that. But, you know, it, it just clicked something in my yeah. in my mind. And um, he was at St. George playing in the reserves and uh, no, the reserves in the youth team and uh, St. George Budapest and wasn't getting a game, I took the Ferry Meadow job and he rang me and said, uh, do you want to, um, you, would you be interested in me? I said, of course. We had a goalkeeper, John Krajnovic, who yeah. was very young at the time and a very, very good goalkeeper. So I, I went to the old Pop Errington Park with yeah. the goalkeepers and um, did about 30 minutes with them and just had a look and I decided, yeah, Warwick's a good keeper and Warwick started. And uh, he was pivotal in our success that that year at Ferry Meadow. We were, we finished one point behind um, uh, the leader who was Melita. No, not Melita. Canterbury. 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 Yep. Canterbury. And um, we lost to Melita in the grand final. Yeah. And uh, that was one point from us going to the into the national league. Now, the players didn't get paid. You know, we'd go back to the fraternity and. We'd get a few jugs of beer and uh, a big tray of chips. And uh, <laughs> the Wolves were losing every week at the time, so we'd get back there at the same time and Glen Fontana would get the cigars out. <laughs> we'd, yeah, we, we, had, we had good fun, but Warwick was pivotal. And then um, he was the first person I took to um, with Robbie Giraldi and uh, Jock Melando to the Wolves when I got the Wolves job at the end of that year. And... Uh, he just—he was the best goalkeeper in Australia for two years. But Frank Arrack, you know, this is the bias that goes on in sport. Um, Frank Arrack never picked him because he'd let him go. You know, he didn't realise the quality. And, and one of the the, the 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 best things about Warwick was we'd go training at five o'clock and we'd start start full training at half past six and. Uh, I'd be, I'd be shooting, I'd be hitting thousands of balls a day at him. He just, he had an appetite, he, appetite for work, and he, he'd work, and he was so um, oh, single-minded. He wanted to be good. It, he, he was absolutely magic. Yeah, and um, yeah, the, him, Robbie Giraldi, and Jock Melando, pivotal parts in the success, and they were all similar-minded, very, very single-minded. And they all listened and they all wanted to do well. It was great. And is there a couple of games that you can sort of look back upon with Warwick about um, that sort of brought to the fore that he was such a great goalkeeper and, and what he did in those games? Oh, not, not really. He, he was just so consistent. Yeah. Um, never did anything. Never made a mistake. And uh, made everything look easy. I, I, I can't comprehend even to this day how he never got a mention, but but Wollongong was kind of out of sight, out of mind. We, we never really got uh, the the accolades that we deserved in any any so way, shape, or form. So not even in that season where you were first in the league, and that's a huge honour, I think, uh, for the region and yourself and the players, and I guess the the committee as well, or the board, that in '88 you were number one. 
and he was a big part of that. Yeah, and nothing, nothing. He just never, never got a look in. It was. Um, I I don't know. I, I think you see it. I I've seen it. Um, seen it in in all sports. Yep. Yeah. If you if you don't you don't fit in. Well. Did you notice a difference in him though? Although it might not have been on the field that that it deflated him a little bit to, to no. not even get a thing? Or like you said, his focus was be the best that you can and then that never wavered? Yeah, brother of Craig, son of Bob. You know, his, his dad uh, played in the Olympic Games yeah. for Australia. Um, his, his brother, well, you know, he coached and he played. He was a top player. You know, I, I, I often felt sorry for him because in his own right, he was... He was up there big time Equally. and didn't get the respect that, that he deserved. But, um, yeah, he's the best keeper I've seen in my time in, in Illawarra without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, you spoke about uh, Robert Giraudy. Can you talk a bit about him as he uh, strengths to the player and, and um, anything else you can recall of, of Robert? Robbie, um, yeah. Um, the year we were in the state league um, with the Wolves, and uh, we had to win to get uh, back into the national league, uh, we played at Canberra, and Canberra and Blacktown and us were vying for the top position, and uh, we pl we played at uh, Bruce Stadium in Canberra. I don't know if it's called that still, and uh, I come out and I walked all the way to the top of the grandstand, uh, which is about 80 steps all the way up to the top. By the time I got to the top, the game had uh, kicked off. I turned round and there was Robbie walking off. He'd been sent off 30 seconds into the game. And this is a crucial, absolutely crucial game. And uh, I walked all the way down to the bench. What happened? Said, oh, somebody kicked Robbie and uh, Robbie elbowed him and he's gone. Anyway, we, we won the game 1-0 and... Uh, we, we, had a, we were in a minibus going back and uh, there was a lot of singing going on and Robbie was there with his head down, didn't look at me and, <laughs> and anything. Um, but, but the thing about Robbie was, again, he was for nine months probably the best striker in Australia. He was just going gangbusters and then he broke his leg and uh, probably was never the, the same. Robbie, you, he'd take everything that you told him in and... Uh, you know how some players you can talk to players and you can see it going in one ear and out the other everything was contained in his brain and yep. he knew um, again with Randall Eastorp and him playing up front and Ruddy Stefanovski out on the right hand side Ruddy was just hitting crosses in they'd be doing the tram lines to near and far post and you know everything saying that and they, they were just uh, scoring goals at, at their leisure and and the big thing, it's a different era, but uh, defenders defenders had built the, the crap out of you. But these two guys, Randall East or Robbie Giraldi, they, they could look after themselves. They didn't need any help from anybody. <laughs> so if somebody was going to kick them, they weren't going to let them get away with it. And, uh, yeah, but that, that day, Robbie, oh, <laughs> yeah. Because there was a picture of... Um, an, an um, I interviewed uh, Robbie's son, Des, and, and um, I'm trying to get an interview with Robbie as well, but uh, he sent me through a, a picture of him and Warwick 
um, together. It was a few weeks ago, and I think you even made a comment on it about um, you know two local legends and, and yeah. whatnot, and they're in the change rooms. And for me, um, when you get some of those comments on Facebook, it and, and from people yourself that have been there, or Peter Cotamanides and stuff yeah. like that, you then think, well, there was a real bond between the players, yourself. Um, it wasn't just a, a professional team here. We're talking that there were friendships here, that this oh, mattered. Oh and, and that massive. picture sort of goes to that. Massive. The, the bond that that group had, and, you know, various players came in and out. They didn't fit. They were gone. Yep. They were gone. And uh, just they just, just had it. They, they, were, they, were, they, were a, they were a team. They were a team from from go to woe. It doesn't matter if they, they were losing three or four nil. They were still together and they were a group. And they'd, they'd take the defeat together. they take the wins together. And uh, they could all celebrate, you know. And uh, th they were all good men. Really, really good men. And, uh, you know, still very good friends with them. I don't see Warwick as often as... As I perhaps would have, would like to, but I know that we're still really really good friends. Robbie Giraldi, I see quite frequently, um, so yeah. And Peter Cotamanides, um, uh, tell us a bit about him. He uh, just just a very very good player, local local junior, um, could play anywhere for you, anywhere in the team. Uh, he was he was super. Probably a lot of times he was kind of just a fringe player, but what a fringe player to have. I mean, the striker got injured, uh, play him up front, your midfielder, play him in midfield, your wide man, play him out wide, your right back, your sweeper, you play him, you know, he was, just, he was just good and he came in and did whatever role you wanted to, he was, he was great. Magic crosser of the ball, ma magic on corners, set pieces, free kicks, uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, he played a lot of games for the Wolves, a lot of games. And you know, I, I read read stuff. You know, you mentioned the word legends, and I think it's it's something that's overdone a lot. And, yep. Uh, he was uh, he was in a team of legends uh, around that time, and uh, yeah, very good player. And a good friend. And it, it probably doesn't surprise you that uh, people like Warwick and, and then Peter, uh, Jock and, and, and Robbie then went on and came back to the local game and, and sort of infused what they'd learnt at the NSL level and, and put it back into the game, whether it be playing and, and coaching as well. Yeah, well, um, Peter, Peter come back and uh, played for the Wollongong Olympic when I was coaching and uh, just an adornment to the game. Yeah, he, he wasn't he wasn't a dirty player. He was just just a good player and uh, very uh, very humble. Uh, Randall Eastorp, uh, can you tell us a bit about Randall? Because like you you spoke just a, a few minutes ago about his um, uh, partnership with Robbie Giraldi. Ten to two feet. He's uh, <laughs> got the most strangest running uh, pattern you've ever seen in your life. Uh, what? What you knew with Randall is that you were going to get 150% every minute, every second of every game. And uh, 
Robbie and uh, and Randall for the formidable uh, pair up front. They <laughs> they they destroyed teams physically. They were two very very strong men and uh, mentally tough as nails. Uh, we played Blacktown in the state league, and this this sums Randall up. One of my not the best player I've ever coached, but one of my favourite players. And uh, we had Zipko Hotoski sent off. Another crunch game. We had to win. We were 2 0 up, and he gave away a penalty and he got sent off, a deliberate handball. Um, and there was still 60 minutes to go. And so he had to play up front in, on his own and play 4 4 1. And uh, he just ran, ran the whole whole game, he just never, never stopped and you could see he was getting tired and we'd yell at him and he'd just lift his head and, and off he'd go. Yeah, no, it was a pleasure to, pleasure to coach these guys, they were just a different class. And where did you find Randall? We were struggling for players and uh, Laurie Kelly, uh, the great, late great Laurie Kelly came up with this brand, we were playing Marconi and uh, he came up with Randall Eastall. I said, who's he? And he said, he played with Penrith. And uh, the ex-Australian captain and player at uh, Marconi, and I went up to miss it after the game with the Marconi club. And I said, do you know Randall Eastall? This is Tony Henderson. And uh, he said, yeah, played against him. I said, what's he like? He said, he's a roadrunner. I said, what do you mean? He said, he's nothing. So I went back to Laurie Kelly and said, oh, well, I've got him coming down tomorrow. And, you know, so I was virtually railroaded into signing yep. then. It had got too late and we needed bodies. And uh, they signed him. Oh, what a signing. <laughs> Loved him from, from day one. He was just uh, another one. Just single-minded, wanted to play. You know, he didn't care about money or anything. I did, but, but he just wanted yeah. to play, and he wanted to play in a successful side. The guys loved him. The guys loved him. In terms of player signings, how did it work? Well, well with, with Randall, we were desperate for numbers. We were desperate for yep. bodies. It didn't, didn't matter. We, we just needed, because we didn't have anybody. And um, Laurie was magnificent, uh, just years ahead of his time, uh, brought soccer on massively in the area because he provided the area with the walls and he kept them going I think single mind single handedly at, at, at times but a great man I had a great relationship with him uh, he didn't he didn't uh, butt in or had no he, he was he was great but he'd come up with these people and, and there was some other people he'd come up with and I'd say no I don't want to um, but this one was really couldn't do anything about it. Uh, yeah, I can't, I can't speak highly enough of Laurie Kelly. And so, w in terms of those other player signings that you would make, is it just using your networks then that you've got to then say, well, oh, you talk to someone, this bloke in state league, he should be playing NSL. Uh, is that the sort of way that it works sometimes? You'd have regular conversations with different people that you would know? I used to talk to. Um people in the in the press quite a lot who watched a lot of state league games yep. and, and you see we, we didn't have any money that, yep. that was the biggest problem so you'd have to have to choose carefully and you'd have to select people that 
weren't looking for high wages and maybe not up to the quality. But I always thought that if you got get people with characters and they're prepared to work hard, you're, you're going to have a good chance. And, yep. Uh, you know, perhaps in, in, in some ways you strike, you strike, you strike you're lucky. But, but then again, you get a group of people together and you keep adding to that group and it does add up. It becomes a really, really, you know, the, the Ruddy Stefanovsky. Yeah, talk about talk about him, because initially you didn't you didn't um, uh, want him, did you? No, I, well, no, no. He was he um, he was signed already. He played for Noddy the year before. Yep. And, um, the crowd loved him. You know, as it would, he used to run onto players and jink and jive. And, yeah, uh, I, I played against him in a game for the Wolves against Wollongong Macedonia. Macedonia. Yep. And it was at Balgowny. It was it was outside here. Just a, a friendly game. I don't yep. know what it was for. And I marked him. And he's this little jockey-sized mannequin. mannequin. And uh, I just kicked him all game and didn't think any more of him. He, yep. was, he was useless. That's, that was my opinion. Yep. And uh, I inherited him. And uh, I said to him after a few weeks, said, well, you're not going to get a game for me. I'm, I'm a good player, you know, as you do, and I said, well, you're not the type of player I'm looking for, and I said, you know, if you can get a club, I'll, I'll let you go, and uh, now, a few weeks later, while on Macedonia, made an offer for him, Laurie told me, I, I, you know, the board didn't want to see him go, they, they yep. loved him, the fans loved him, but he didn't fit into my system, anyway, uh, I spoke to him and asked him to go, and he said, no, no, I'm staying. Yep. And I said, well, you're not going to get a game. <laughs> and he said, he said to me, um, he said, I'll prove you wrong. Well, okay. Anyway, as things happen, uh, I think it was Peter Cullen and I just got injured. And so I had to pick him, and I picked him, and I told him what he wanted to do. See, because his strengths, he could run all day. He could run all day. He was jockey-sized, couldn't tackle, I knew that. But what a crosser of the ball he was. But because he was trying to dribble everybody and he had no pace, he'd never get past them. But what he had, he had that marvellous ability to get a yard away from a player and bend the ball round and uh, hit it into the penalty area. And I said, you've got to put crosses in. Anyway, the first game he played, he did exactly what I told him. And I thought, yeah, and I went in, got to him afterwards, said, that's good. Yep. It's, it's real improvement on what, what I've seen before. And it wasn't the old Raddy Stepanowski who flattered to deceive, who ran up and looked good but never did anything. He's hitting these quality crosses and it just snowballed from there. And uh, I'm pretty certain I went into the dressing room one day and had all the players there. And... Uh, Said to told them the story about Raddy Stepanowski with Raddy Lenny. And I said, he shoved what I said to him down, down my throat. Yep. And I said, uh, he's great. But uh, his crosses were good, his work rate was excellent, and he'd become a tough cookie. And uh, his, his set pieces were oh, sublime. He was good corners, free kicks, everything. And with the Robbie Giraldis and the Randall Eastorps, 
running those tram lines, they knew the ball was going to be coming in, so they'd go there because they're going to score goals. And uh, it was great. But my favourite story of all time, and it shows you what the league was like then. It was a very, very tough league. We were playing the last game of the season against Sydney, Croatia, at Adensa Park up in Sydney. And we were top of the league by one point. Yep. If we drew and South Melbourne won, they win the league. Yep. If Sydney Croatia beat us, Sydney Croatia win the league. So a lot to play for and for all teams. A lot to play for. Anyway, they had a team of, of superstars. Um, uh, Graham, Graham Arnold, Robbie Slater, Federer, Rosic, Zelko and Zarkov. Oh, I mean, these were superstars in, yep. the, in the Australian game. And, and, and they had a team for them. And they had a big centre-half, six foot five, six foot six. Alan Hunter, now, he, he played for Australia as well, big centre-half. And I was sitting in the dugout, and it's massive crowd there, and everything's on the, on the line. And right in front of me, he's gone over the top of Raddy. Absolutely cleaned him up. And uh, terrible tackle. And I got up. I'm only about a yard away from the sideline. And uh, Alan Hunter uh, looked at me and said, don't, don't send a boy to play a man's game. <laughs> and Raddy was on the floor rolling around as, as, he, as he did. Just looked at me, got up walked away and the referee I don't think he even gave him a yellow card gave Alan Hunter and Randy was on the left side so I presume uh, Danny Crane had took a corner from the other side so because Randy was always on the right hand side and uh, two minutes later the ball got played to Randy and Alan Hunter came you see he was flying in and Randy miscontrolled the ball and he don't miscontrol balls like that and the ball went about two foot away from him and Alan Hunter went for the ball and Ruddy just went over the top and killed him and uh, he got carried off in a, a stretch Alan Hunter and as he was walking by, by me I said Alan and I suppose he thought I was going to say you know how are you going <laughs> and I said to him I said don't send a boy to play a man's game <laughs> see Ruddy could look after himself uh, and I've got the utmost admiration for him well, I can't wait to speak to him, and I'm sure he'll uh, appreciate those words. Uh, what about uh, Ray Valestra? He was uh, a, a centre half. Um, how did you? How did? Because you saw him, I guess, in his younger days when. I played with him. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then coached him. So he's another one where he sort of did both. Very strong, very physical, very single-minded, um, very very good centre half. Yeah, that's, that, that's it. You, you knew what you were going to get. And uh, him and David Radcliffe and Jock Melanda, uh, they, 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 they were formidable. And, and what about um, uh, David Radcliffe? You, you, you spoke about him before. So, um, like you said, you'd seen, I guess, this change when you saw him up at Brisbane and then, and then you, you signed him up a, as well. Well, Frank Garrett for some reason, they'd done really well. He'd done a, had a brilliant year and uh, got rid of him and he rang me up. And I said, yeah, come down. <laughs> yeah, so it was, it, was, it was a no-brainer. And David, 
David was to her, or vice versa. Yeah. Uh, Minio Bonatig. Yeah, uh, gave him his debut in the uh, in the final against um, Marconi, I think it was. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He just went on. That's the last game of the season. So we lost on penalties, and Peter Connolly scored a great goal that was never given, um, which videos now, if they had VAR, it would have been a goal, and we would have <laughs> gone into the grand final. But Minio went on, played the next season, and he was uh, just got better and better. He played central midfield with David Skeen, and uh, he was getting better and better. Then he got a, a groin, uh, a stomach yep. strain, and that put him out. I coached him again at Paul Kembla, but you know I don't I don't think he was as good a player then. He was he was he was going places, yep. and that, that that just put him back. Sometimes uh, one injury can just mess the best years of your life, you know. And you would have seen that a lot as a professional oh, in yeah. England, yes, but yeah. but you see it here as well. And you spoke about Robbie Giroudi in terms of his broken yeah. leg that yeah. that then changed, I guess, the course of your career. It, it still must. I guess sadden you as a as a coach, not just from a a playing perspective, but because you've got a relationship with these players as well. Yeah, it's um, it was very very sad with um, Minio because I think I think he was at the time he was scared of me. As people say, they're scared of me. And it, it, it frightens me because <laughs> I, I feel like. Uh, but he he had the injury. He was carrying the injury for quite a while, and it gone. Kind of seen numerous people, but he'd not told me because he was so desperate to play. play. And his player hadn't been getting worse, but his his uh, injury had. And uh, yeah, he had, he had about a year out. I don't know if he played again for the Wolves very often uh, after that. Uh, yeah, but uh, he came back and he played district soccer, and he was the, one of the best players in district soccer, without a doubt. What about uh, David Skeen? You just spoke of him before. Uh, where did he play and, and what did you think of him? We played in... Uh, I played against him in the National League. He played for St George right back and I was left back. Yeah, I, I played I played everywhere for the Wolves except for the goalkeeper. And I was playing left back and it was uh, the final and we were losing. And I got upset and I hammered him. Didn't like him. Deserved it, and because uh, he was a strong, tough player. Uh, anyway, uh, his dad was the strap, not the strap, the team manager for us, Bob Skeen. And we went back to the club, and his dad was nearly crying, saying he's going to miss the grand final because of you. And, <laughs> and I started laughing, and that didn't help things. And uh, anyway, I saw him over there, and he was really, really quiet. Yep. He said, no, it's okay. He said, uh, you'll be all right for next week. I said, yeah. He said, oh, great. I think we talked, got on, got on all right. Anyway, when I took over at the Wolves, the first player that I looked for was David Skeen. For the simple reason was, if I didn't like him as a player, he's good. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he was uh, at an impasse with uh, Frank Arrow up there, and the travelling was getting to him. Place for us, best thing I ever did. God, he was he was another one, just driven, quality, 
you know, and, and when I played against David Radcliffe, I didn't like him either. We got on well off the field, <laughs> but I didn't like him, and that's usually a sure sign. If you don't like players, they're good. That's why you don't like them, <laughs> you know. So it, it, it was a pretty easy go for me, and he was, he was brilliant. And again, not to flatter you, but do you think um, uh, part of your success as a coach with the Wolves and even with Ferry Meadow to that extent was to sort of pick some of these players because I guess you knew that, you know, some of them had local ties or some of them weren't getting a go where they were um, and, and that you thought, well, there's something here, um, you know, because of our budget and whatnot, there's an opportunity here to, to play NSL. Yeah, it's, it's a very, um, you know, with the monetary restraints that we had, it was always going to be very difficult, but you never knew until you, yeah. you, you, you rang them up. And players of the, the calibre of David Skeen, I mean, David Radcliffe rang me, but, you know, you ring people like David Skeen and they listen to you and you, you've got about a 20% chance. Yep. And uh, he was keen from, I think I just got him at the right time. And uh, it was it was great, yeah. What about Danny Craney? Um, yeah, good. Where, where did he come from? Um, he played for Celtic in in uh, Scotland. I don't yep. think he had many first team games. He was playing for South Melbourne, and uh, they were very bitter that he left and came came here. But obviously, Harry Michael's uh, money had something to do yep. with that. We needed a left side sided player. Yeah, to give us a bit of balance, and uh, yeah, he, he came and did a very, very good job. Yeah, great guy, um, very, very skillful, very much in the Raddy Stefanowski mould. Not as, not as tough as as Raddy, but um, yeah. And and what about uh, Pat Brodnick? From talking to say John Frew, and and about where where Pat had come from, uh, it's a remarkable sort of trajectory that he had, wasn't it? Yeah, um, Pat Brodnick. Quick, strong, good in the air, good left foot, good right foot. Um, yeah, playing left-sided midfield and he'd score you 15, 16 goals a year. Play him up front, he'd score you 25 a year. Oh look, he was, he was an awesome, absolutely awesome. Strange dude, but uh, yeah, he, he took a, um, a religion, um, became a Seventh Day Adventist, and uh, couldn't play was it on the Saturdays or the, I don't know. One, one of the days. Yeah, and uh, made it very difficult at times. But uh, uh, you know, we, we had a, a big team meeting because he, he was really sincere in his, his beliefs, and he, he bought me a six pages of fool's gap where he wrote down all his thoughts and everything and uh, yeah but what do you do uh, he was he was, just, he was a quality player and uh, yeah I probably regret you know not having more time with him really mm. because uh, I'm sure he could have gone on to better things and uh, he, he was by far uh, in a way, not the finished product, but he just had all the assets, and I, I, I don't know how anybody got hold of him in the first place. I think he was a Bambi lad, yeah. And, um, but yeah, just had it all 
I think, well, um, again, you know, it, a team of um, probably misfits in a, in a way, but you put them together and, and they just fits, fit, fitted like a Lego, you know. <laughs> and Lionel Acosa? Yeah, he came with Saul Rivera. Yeah. Not as good as Saul. Very poor second, yeah. <laughs> um, Reg Chilby. Reg, yeah, another one. Um, I got it very better. And, uh, yeah, he was a pivotal part of that first year and he came to the Wolves and he played at the back for me, centre back, right back. He, in fact, I think he played up front a few games. Yeah, very, very good player. Yeah, I'd, I'd have him... Have him every day of the week. You pick him in your side, yeah. And and the uh, other guy um, that I have next on the list is David Green. So uh, another local product. And I played with him. Um, yeah, and I think I got rid of him. One of the first things I did when him and Alex Pondalo. Not not for any reason that he wasn't a good player, but we just needed more more cash to. Yep. to try and uh, get different types of players. And he did exceptionally well at St George, yeah, good player. And like I said, th- that was part of uh, what you had to do at Wollongong, wasn't it? That you had to yeah. make make the budget balance and, and, and do things sometimes that you wouldn't want to. And what about, um, talk about, the, say, Trevor Francis, Alan Brazil and Paul Mariner. Um, for you, um, forgetting the, the Harry Michael stuff, to have people of that quality come to the club uh, must have been sort of strange in one sense when you were, I guess, managing a, a working-class town club and with a shoestring budget to then have players of this quality come in. Marvellous, marvellous what uh, Alan Brazil had to offer um, the team. You know, as a player, it was, was magic that... More than that, what he had to offer the rest of the players and, and his experience and everything was great. And uh, he was a good mixer. Uh, he, he, was a, he was a super bloke, trained hard, turned up at every session, uh, did well in games. The guys loved him. He'd lead the singing on the bus. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, he was great for everything about him. Paul Mariner, exactly the same. Two weeks, he played two games, uh, trained every time, super bloke. Uh, Trevor Francis, who I played against and with in England, and uh, he came over, went a holiday to the Gold Coast, and he'd come and played, and, and the two games he played, he was perfectly professional and, and played very, very well. But, you know, it would have been nice to have a bit of input from him into the team, uh, team that I had then. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it was a very interesting time. Because it's a strange um, strange one from, say, your normal sort of season to sort of have those guest stints come in. So um, but, but I guess it's a coaching challenge, isn't it? Because you were successful. You were a successful team at that time as well. Yeah. Well, it wasn't a challenge with Alan and, and uh, Paul because they were just... They were top professionals. They came yep. there to do the business and then you didn't have to teach them how to play or anything like that. You had to uh, get them involved in your, your team uh, framework yep. and they took that all in very, very quickly and uh, 
Yeah, with, with Trevor, it was a lot more difficult because uh, he, he just came, obviously, for the holiday. And I'm not knocking his, uh, his actual game time was, was superb. But uh, it would have been nice to get a, a bit more off of him uh, back to the players. Alan created a great bond with the players. Uh, you know, it might have been a bit of a drinking culture <laughs> that he, he bonded with them. But he was out here on holiday as well. He, he thoroughly enjoyed himself. Uh, super guy. And, and were you sort of, uh, I guess, because um, at the time uh, the team was going well, you're a successful team, were you sort of in your mind trying to, you sometimes just hope that this works, that some of the other players that then go out of the team don't get too disgruntled and stuff like that? It was, it was even more of a, I guess, a harder task for you to sort of keep things at an equilibrium where the success would continue? Very difficult, very difficult. Um, but I think the, the players that were left out at the time, they all realised that, uh, all three of the players, they were just absolute quality. And um, they were only here for a short period and they were going to help us uh, uh, compete at the top level. So I think they were all, they were all behind it. But obviously, if you, if you, you left out, it was, it was difficult. Yep. I hope, anyway, that, that, that everybody understood the reasons why they were left out. And um, we spoke before about Laurie Kelly, but um, he was really a, a giant in the region in terms of what he did for the game. You know, I think it was Fernhill locally and, and, then, uh, and then the Wolves and then just generally. So um, you've said before in this discussion today that there was times where you... You had to dis had discussions with the board, and they had opinions about players and and whatnot, which would, you know, for me, I guess, it wouldn't wouldn't be, uh, I guess, cool to hear opinions of people that don't see them training day in day out, see, I guess, the prism of the game and professionally. So, um, did that help having Laurie as chairman to sort of settle that down a little bit? Massively, because. You've got these directors, um, I suppose it's a similar at all clubs. I mean, they finished bottom of the league for three years on the trot, and suddenly they've had success after success. Suddenly from going into board meetings and not hearing anything from any of them, now they've got, oh, oh yeah, he should be playing, he should be playing, you know. It, it, it really, really irritated me in the end. And I, I, you know, if it wasn't for Laurie Kelly keeping the equilibrium, as you say, uh, it would have been very difficult, but uh, yeah, and uh, I think Frank Arrows said to me one day, he said, if there's a board uh, of directors and there's 12 on the board, you've got to have seven on your side. <laughs> and, uh, I, I think basically that was it. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it got to be really annoying, it's especially, you know, the stuff about Jeff Ainsworth. It was, it was just every month, you know, they, they'd bring it up. But, I mean, when we were winning before that year, nothing was ever said. <laughs> and then suddenly it becomes a, a major talking point now with them. And they never opened their mouth before. <laughs> and, uh, but that's what happened when you, when you get a winning culture. It, people, they all want to join in. They all want to be part of it. But when you're losing, they don't want to say anything. <laughs> I found it very, very, very strange. And, and I, I don't mind uh, criticism from, yep. from within if they've got uh, 
if they're talking about the right things. But but again, I, I was a very very strong uh, strong person, and I had very very strong opinions, and I wasn't going to be guided by somebody else on who I select or, or what yep. I do. So yeah, I mean, if it comes to that, and you're guided by other people who you select in your side, you may as well give them the job and let them do it. For you, then, was that part of your decision making near the end of your tenure there at the Wolves? That that sort of factored into some of the decision making. Oh, yeah, there's some of the crap that was that was happening at the end. You know, it was um, we were we were going really really well, and, and I, I suppose it goes goes into um, just my my upbringing and the way, and, and it was becoming to get beginning to get very very. Not that I want you to either. With the, um, uh, people like team managers and that, like uh, Len Schaefer, you know, um, uh, those programs that I've, I've scanned from you, you know, he would, um, and then Neville Arrowsmith with the youth grade team, they would write, you know, these reports and, and you know, you get a further glimpse into the game apart from, say, Phil Murphy's uh, report on the game. So uh, what was he like to have around? We had a team, uh, the dressing room team, uh, and all the players, the physio, Carl Simeon, yep. Len Schaefer, and Jess Massioni, the team, the kit man. Now, we, were, we were, had a bond together, all together. Len was my best supporter. I told him everything. Yep. He was, you know, he'll God rest his soul as well. Yeah. Uh, he, was, he was marvellous. Jess Massioni, the kit man, and you know, you talk about, oh, kit man, now, he was an integral part of that dressing room, you know, as Carl Simeon was. Uh, and other people would come in at times and they, they, weren't, in the, they weren't in the click. Yep. It, was, it was that group. And that was why, yeah, probably in, in sporting terms, you don't get it very often that you have a group that are so entrenched together. And, and we we had it. He was he was part of it, and uh, a, a, an integral part of it. I, I told him everything, and uh, yeah, good supporter. Yeah, because well, I think uh, it was probably in the nineties that you know I, I got treated by Carl, and and he just came across um, just as a sort of uh, a great guy, but he knew what he was talking about, and you know you could tell he was a bit of a character too, and. You could tell, I, I can understand a little bit about why he would fit into that sort of environment. Very intelligent man. Don't, yeah. don't let his uh, demeanour uh, uh, tell you any differently because he was a very, very intelligent man. And I used to bounce things off him and um, use him as a, a scapegoat a lot. And he knew it. He, was, he wasn't <laughs> silly. And uh, he used to play up to it. And, and he, was, he, he, was, he was really good. But uh, as far as being a physio... <laughs> Top shelf, top shelf, and the players, the players liked him, uh, which which helps. I liked him, you know. Everybody got on well with him. And, and what about? Um, and we've spoken about him before, and I've spoken to him, and it was fantastic, Mike Holyfield. Um, you, you told me about his first game uh, in Australia when it was uh, red hot. So um, he was part of that mix as well, wasn't he? Oh yeah, he was he was a huge part of the mix. Um, uh, yeah, Mike, great left foot, um, 
wonderful uh, player, uh, read the game well, um, wanted to do well, very, very motivated to do well, another, another self-motivated uh, person. But uh, off the field, oh, what a nightmare. Um, <laughs> you know, and he's, he's a good friend, but uh, I can remember we, we'd, uh, we'd won the league and we were going up to a presentation in Sydney somewhere. And yep. uh, all the coaches, all the players were there and he was there with me and uh, uh, Bob Hall was there. Anyway, we're all in our dinner suits and uh, for some reason, Mike had had a few beers and uh, he's got a knife and fork and spoon in his, uh, in his uh, top pocket of his, uh, <laughs> of his dinner, uh, dinner jacket and uh, they were hanging out. And he's standing there next to me and Bob Hall's walking Holly's gone, Bob, Bob, <laughs> over here. And Bob Hawks looked at him and he said, who, who the hell is this? And Bob Hawks smiled and uh, Mike said, it's me, Charlie, Charlie Yankos. <laughs> so Bob Hawks gone, Charlie. And he's walked <laughs> over and he shook hands with me and the press had took a picture of the three of us and uh, Mike's got these... Uh, uh, spoons and knives out of God, and uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a big night, and I can remember leaving him at the, well, well, not only me, the players, leaving him at the bourbon and beef steak, and we didn't see him for three days after that, <laughs> so I don't know what happened, but uh, he was, uh, he was another quality member, yeah. But, it, but it's not um, wrong of me to sort of say that, and I know Australian football and people are probably sick and tired of me saying it, but he's with the number one team in 88. It still must be up there in your mind and, and um, like you said today about some of these gentlemen that are, are still friends and the bond, it, it still must rank highly in, in your career that he's at the top of the tree, he's played everyone twice, he's, he's worth the best team. And against some well-funded well-run clubs that, that probably on paper had better teams. Yeah, it's great reminiscing and, and you, you, you know, your memories go back a long, long way and you'll, you'll never forget them and you'll never forget the players that uh, uh, were involved in that era but uh, you have to move on in life and, uh, you know, that, that, was, that was in the past. It was, it was great, you know, if we all got together and uh, we speak and you, you'd have some some of the stories that, that would come out, you know, uh, it'd, it'd be great. Well, maybe that's the next one. We've got oh, to get a few of you together. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it'd be a disaster now. I think we're, we're getting a bit old. We wouldn't last uh, the three or four days like we used to. Well, I'd, I'd have to get my recording in early and, uh, and maybe a bit more editing. Well, thank you, John. Um, like I said, we'll, we'll probably have to sit down again. Um, it, it's been an absolute pleasure. And, and um, like I said, I don't want to flatter you too much, but a lot of other people listened to our first interview. And, and I think with some of the uh, stories, information and, and, and what happened in different parts of uh, your time at the Wolves, uh, people will really enjoy this. Thank you, Travis. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's good reminiscing about good times. Thanks again for listening and downloading episode 60.
I sincerely appreciate it. Sincere thanks to John for the time he spent with me. I'm your host, Travis. Goodbye for now. Thank you.